0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and from Jesus Christ. What's in a name? Actually, a lot. The names and titles we give to people and objects suggest our values, our underlying attitudes, a sense of how we conceive the relationship between us. There are many things, for instance, that you can call your spouse or loved one, But we all know that Sweetheart is miles away from the old ball and chain. Names matter. They don't just observe reality with neutrality, they hold the power to shape it. Start calling one of your kids the forgetful one or the one who's always late, and that gives you and them a pattern to start seeing themselves in light of an identity to perform, and over time, perhaps just because it's there, you will both live into the values that that name suggests and fail to live into other values that might be suggested by other names. And that's why I think it's high time to rename this third parable we hear this morning So, if your mind is going to wander during this sermon, why not have it wander into brainstorming new names for this familiar parable? We all know it as the prodigal son. When I was growing up, I thought that prodigal just meant someone who went away and came back. What it actually means is reckless or needlessly extravagant. And we know which son that's describing. It's the one who goes away. And so when we call this parable the prodigal son, we train our eyes and our minds to focus on his actions and to let that guide our interpretation. And the interpretation usually looks like this. No matter how far we go, no matter which sins we commit, God is always willing to receive us back into the household. This is, of course, 100% true. God's mercy is rich, and God doesn't give it begrudgingly, but with contagious joy. And this interpretation seems to fit the theme of the other two parables Jesus tells today, of a sheep being rescued by a shepherd who wanders from his flock and a woman who searches her house for one single coin. Taken together, these three parables seem to speak, most of all, of God's willingness to forgive each of us, no matter our offenses, shown most iconically in that image of a father embracing his long-lost son. But the third parable doesn't stop with this embrace, does it? There's another eight verses about the older brother, the one who never left, the one whom it seems has nothing to repent of, and far from the happy endings for a found sheep and coin or a party for a returned prodigal brother, this third parable actually ends in suspense. Jesus doesn't tell us whether this elder brother goes inside to the party. And it's the second brother who stands on the threshold of the party for eternity who makes me want to rename this parable because his presence ought to change how we look at it. Might I suggest that this is a parable that's about the names we call ourselves and each other, and about a parable about the names that God gives to us, about the power that these names hold to separate us or bring us together. Listen to this parable anew. There's a younger son who cuts himself off from his family name, He tells his father that he wants his inheritance now while the father is still living, which is a way of saying, you're dead to me. He is through being known by his relationship to his father, he is rejecting his name, son. And to emphasize the point, he travels to a far country, a place where no one can know him by his family ties, and there he spends all his money, the last remaining connection he has to belonging to his family. Of course, this doesn't work out well for him. Famine strikes, no one comes to his aid, the pigs eat better than he does. And right in the middle of this, The text says something interesting. It says, he came to himself. He returned to a sense of who he was, to whom he had been. He remembered the connections that had once held his sense of self, and he says, my father. And he remembers that he was once called son. And this connection sets him toward home. But he doesn't trust the power of this name anymore or the familial worldview it invites, and so he opts to give himself a new name, a name with no warmth, hired hand. His father will have none of it. His father is not content with names of transaction and worldviews of exchange and business agreements. This father longs for names that reflect the intimacy of human belonging. And so he calls him this son of mine once again and throws a party. And then there's that second, older son And though he has stayed by his father's side, though he has conducted himself decently, following rules and being a productive citizen, we learn that he, too, has rejected the name of son and brother for himself. We hear the name that he has chosen for himself when his father comes out to plead with him. This older brother says, I have been working like a slave. A slave. That's the name he has chosen. And in choosing that name, he's chosen the worldview that that name evokes, a world based on power and transaction and earning worthiness through labor, rather than a worldview of kinship and belonging, And this worldview of seeing himself as a slave, it makes him unable to recognize his own brother as family. Did you notice what this older son calls his brother to his father? He says, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours. The elder brother's name for himself, based on a worldview of power and transaction, keeps him out of his own family. He's unable to extend mercy and joy to his own brother. But it is the grace of the father that the elder son is corrected in his naming. And the father says this brother of yours. His name is this brother of yours. He is your kin and you belong to each other. Come to the feast and know your name. Luke tells us that Jesus spoke these parables in response to Pharisees and scribes criticizing Jesus' tendency to welcome sinners and eat with them And in Jesus' ministry, especially in the Gospel of Luke, it's always the ones who have broken the rules, who first listen to Jesus, and are the first to show up to the party. It's the ones who have been following the rules, the ones who have slipped into names and worldviews of power and transaction that always stand on the outside of the Jesus party. And in that light, this parable becomes about more than God's willingness to forgive. It becomes about the names we give ourselves that are anything less than child of God. And the names we give each other that are anything less than this brother of mine or this sister of mine. And it's about God's view of the world in terms of family and belonging and abundance Rule-breaking can certainly keep us away from the abundant life God promises, but so can rule-following, anything that makes us see the world and each other in terms of worthiness or degrees of power or transactional value. But the good news is that God sees the world differently. God is like the Father who willingly gives up all his property to his children God is like the father who prepares the fatted calf and throws a celebratory, extravagant, over-the-top feast. God is the true prodigal one in this tale, for God is reckless in mercy and extravagant in the desire to reconcile us to one another. God is the one who pleads for us to call each other this brother of mine, this sister of mine, We may never know if the elder son joins the party, but we can join a celebratory feast of our own at this communion table. God is throwing a party in our midst, a feast of prodigal proportions where we are served God's own self in bread and wine, where we hear our name as God's beloved and where we know we belong to each other as daughters and sons of the same God. And God pleads with us to to be reconciled to our siblings in this meal. This parable needs a new name, but I'm not going to give it one today. Perhaps you will find one for it as you seek reconciliation in your lives. But this morning, knowing my own name as a child of God and as a brother to each one of you, is enough for me. Amen.